relate, Mr. Mug. When life comes and just smacks you on the side of the head and it's not the life you would have scripted or not the life you would have hoped for, but now you're living it and you feel like that mug, just a broken piece wondering who can put me back together again. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time and thank you for the hope of Christmas, the peace of Christmas. Thank you for the reality of your word. Thank you that you came into a pain-filled, sin-cursed world to give hope. May that hope be ours in these next, well, in this whole gathering. May you come and reach down, deep call to deep, and speak into our lives. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. My name's Gary. I'm on staff here. And I have a friend who's a pastor in Sacramento at a church called Bayside Church. His name is Kurt. And he has an annual tradition, it's an outreach to his neighborhood. Uh, early in the Christmas season, he and his wife open their house and take all the neighborhood kids in for a Christmas party so the parents can be released and they can go out and go shopping or do whatever they want in the Christmas season. It's a cool tradition that has built momentum and they're seen as servants in their neighborhood. Uh, well, two years ago, Kurt tells this story where they opened the house and the, the, the key part of the whole time is a pinata party. It, there's a pinata in the backyard. How many of you like pinatas? Yeah, you guys are crazy, okay? So the pinata party happens, and all these kids are looking forward to it every year, except this one kid moved in the neighborhood. He's brand new, and he hears as he's at the front door, out in the back, this kid is clinging to his mom like a barnacle, and the kid's saying, I don't want to go in there, mommy. I don't want to go in there, mommy. Something bad is going to happen. I know it. Something bad is going to happen. And the mother's dragging the kid up the walkway. So Kurt meets the kid at the door and says, hey, buddy. He gets on his level. He says, I'm, I'm Mr. Kurt, and we're going to have a lot of fun. We got candy. We got games. We got pinata. He says, oh, no, Mr. Kurt. Something bad is going to happen in here. And so then his mother gets down and says, son. I would never place you somewhere where you'd be in danger. He says, no, Mommy, no, Mommy. Don't let me go in there. Something bad, bad is going to happen. Then the mother did something all of us as parents have done at some point. The mother said, hey, look in there. And when he looked, she bolted. <laughs> Any of you been there? Any of you did that just now in Sunday school? So Mr. Kurt brings him in, and all the kids are like frolicking and having a great time. This kid is in the middle of his living room, sitting on the floor, just going, something bad is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. And finally, Kurt says, pinata time. And they all go running out to the backyard. And everyone gets around the pinata except this kid, who stayed 20 feet away on the porch. And he just sat down. He kept yelling over to the kids, something bad is going to happen. Something bad. So Kurt finally just said, whatever. And so he said, who wants to be the first? And it's always that kid, right? The kid who's already had too much sugar, who's just like, oh, 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 me, 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 me. I want to grab the bat. I want to hit the pinata. And I want to eat candy. Pick me, pick me. And Kurt finally goes, okay, come on. And so he realizes he's got a live wire on his hands. So he puts the, the uh, blindfold on him. And he said he spun him and spun him and spun him because he knew this kid had way too much energy. But this kid was like a GPS. Whatever he spun, he knew right where the pinata was, and he went right back to it. And he comes back, and he's really close, and he swings, and he goes just under the pinata. He expected the force of the pinata to hit the bat, and when it didn't, the bat went flying in the air. True story. 20 feet. 
right to where the kid <laughs> is sitting, and bam, hits him on the head. Where is your empathy, you sick people? This kid jumps up, <laughs> and again, in a parent moment, we've all been there, in the first 10 seconds, he just does this, <laughs> and nothing comes out of his mouth. And then he finally says, I told you something bad was going to happen, and starts bawling. You know, the reality is, in this video uh, where we come, something bad is happening. We find out something bad happened to Renee. Something bad has happened to Kiara. We're finding out she's running from something. It's just part of the human condition. A diagnosis. A discovery. A disruptive event like a job loss. A conversation where you're on the receiving end of life-altering news. A sense that God is calling you to something, but it scares you. If you aren't living in something bad, you, many of us live with a foreboding sense something's just around the corner. Something bad is going to happen. And here you are at church where the pastor is speaking about his law is love and his gospel is peace. Where is peace when bad things happen? As we open up the, uh, the gospel of Matthew, and we're in, I'm, I'm going to put this bat down, okay? Uh, and we're in the gospel of Matthew uh, the truth is, as we meet Joseph, and there's not a lot of ink given to Joseph. This whole season, we're looking at the gospel through the lens of Joseph. And something bad has really happened from Joseph's perspective. He literally has been whacked like a pinata. Uh, we're introduced to him in what should be the most hope-filled time of his life. At least my engagement was. He is shattered in grief. He is shattered in confusion. He's shattered in anxiety and pain. He's been on the receiving end of a life event that smacked him straight between the eyes. He just found out his fiance is pregnant. And he knew it's not about him. Uh, to make matters worse, if you look at the story, Joseph, the word in most of your Bibles is faithful to the law. He did everything right religiously. A lot of us live by religious or spiritual convictions where we really believe if I do A, B, and C, God, you better come through with D, right? We have that expectation. Joseph did A, B, and C, but D never came. He did everything right, and, and he's sitting there going, how can this happen? He is paralyzed in confusion and pain. Have you ever been there? As he's thinking through all the options for Mary, uh, really, there's only three for him at this point, and we'll put them up on the screen. Here's the first. She was a victim of an assault. They were in a Roman-occupied territory. Nazareth was probably 100 people max in the whole village. Roman soldiers walked through all the time. They owned the place. In essence, they were in occupied territory, and Mary was a victim of an assault. Think that would cause a little pain for her fiancé? Or she was a hypocrite. She was leading a double life. Her life actions and her life voice didn't match up. And she had a relationship with another man, and now she's pregnant. Think that would cause some pain for somebody who is faithful to the law? Or the third option, she's impregnated by God. She's telling the truth. Uh, I, just let me step out of this. You need to know around here, 
especially if you're a guest here or if you're not, uh, this virgin birth thing is a very important doctrine to our faith. It's not an optional one. Like the fact that he was, Jesus was virgin born really is what produces the God-man Jesus. The virgin born part brings the God into it. Jesus just wasn't half God, half man. He was fully God and fully man. You see that in the Gospels, but that became vivid for me actually through late night television. Uh, it was the David Letterman show. Remember him? He was interviewing uh, this guy, Larry King. You ever seen him? Larry King is Jewish. And Letterman on Late Night was asking him, if you could, you know, Larry King interviews tons of people. Letterman says, if you could interview any person in history, who would you interview? Larry King didn't miss a beat. He said, Jesus Christ. And for the first time, David Letterman that I've seen, he was like speechless and he's stammering through his words at this point. He did not expect that answer. And he says, Jesus Christ. He says, well, what, 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 what would you ask him? And Larry King says this, I'd ask him if he was virgin born. Because that answer would change history for me. Letterman was just completely derailed at that point, turned to the camera and said, we're going to go to a commercial break. (laughs) And went on. So back to the options, three options. She was assaulted, she was a hypocrite, or she really was impregnated by God. All three, by the way, are a no-win for Mary. Uh, In a small town, very religious, 100 people max, rumors would always fly. We see that in the Gospels. Uh, In the Bible, if you're taking notes, Deuteronomy 22 says that uh, in their religious setting, uh, Mary could be stoned to death. And by Joseph's time, it didn't happen very often, but we have records of it happening. They were in a contractual relationship, and the law said if you're unfaithful in that relationship, you die. And so she could have been pulled out and stoned to death. Uh, we see that in, the, uh, in John chapter 7, another story where a woman actually was pulled out to be killed and Jesus saved her life. Uh, or she would always be the object of public shame and ridicule for the rest of her life. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Where's the peace in this? doesn't seem very loving of God to do it this way or very peaceful. So in his confusion, pain, Joseph concludes that since he could walk away, Uh, The text does not read that she will not have disgrace. She will. Eventually she'll show, and Joseph knew that, and just said, I don't want to be affiliated with that disgrace. I love her too much. I'm pained, but I'm not going to heap disgrace on her. I'll go away silently, and in three, four, five, six months' time, she'll show, and everyone will see what's going on. And so he chooses to walk away, and then God shows up. And he gives some principles that are so important for us as a church and for you personally where you're at, walking in this situation maybe where life has whacked you on the side of the head or where you have this foreboding sense, where is the peace? Turn to page two and let's just jump, not just, but let's walk through these principles. I want you to know this, okay? I want you to take this home and more than homiletics, I want to open the word and let you see this and live this. We all will need this at some point in our lives. Here's the first principle. Living faithfully does not equate to living fearlessly. Living faithfully does not equate to living fearlessly. Look at verse 20. After he considered this, the three options we talked about, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not, and here's the crux, don't be afraid. Uh, The original language, this book was not written in English. It was written in a Greek language, this story. Don't be anxious. Don't be apprehensive to move forward 
with what you were going to do. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Joseph is living in fear. And he's one of the good guys. He was faithful. I can't emphasize that enough. Look at verse 19. Circle that word. It sums up the life of Joseph that we know so little about. He was a faithful man. Yet he finds himself facing fear. How could this be happening? I want you to hear this. Terrible things happen in our world, whether you're a follower of Christ or not. And I know that in our world there's a sense, even as followers of Christ, that following Christ keeps me from pain. Following Christ keeps me from heartache. Following Christ keeps me from on the receiving, being on the receiving end of a diagnosis or a disruptive life event like being laid off or some sort of receiving news about a relationship severing. Throughout the Bible, the metaphor for this is darkness. We just live in a dark world. Jesus knew it, and he calls followers of Christ to keep our eyes wide open and not deny the reality of sin and darkness, but live in it, live above it, live with him through it. Brian quoted from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, as we opened our gathering, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's a key prophecy of Jesus. But let me show you what happened before that prophecy. Look at, it's actually in your notes, but it's on the screen in Isaiah chapter 8. Look at the world that was uh, prophesied that Jesus would come into, and I think you'll see 3,000 years after these words were written, it's our world too. Look at this. Distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they are famished, they'll become enraged. What's going on here? People are hungry, famish under distress. Why? Because they don't have enough food. Why? Because God didn't provide it? Oh, no. God has provided plenty of food for our world, men and women, even today. It's just people are hoarding it back then and today. And so people die of hunger in many countries of the world. We're in America. We die of obesity and overeating and food-related issues. Do you see the disparity that's going on? It happened back then. It happens now. But what do they do? Instead of looking in the mirror, what do they do? Look at the pride. They look upward and they curse their king and they curse their God. They look politically upward and curse the government. Then they look vertically into the heavens and say, if there was a God like Rene did, you wouldn't let this happen. When they should look in the mirror and say, I've entrusted this to you. I've entrusted this to you. Things haven't changed in 3,000 years, have they? And then look at this. Uh, have they? Or am I talking to... No, they haven't. Okay, I'll just say that. They haven't. Then they look toward the earth, and what do they see? Distress, and here's the metaphor, darkness. Fearful gloom. They're thrust into utter what? Darkness. Uh, I'm just an early morning guy. Uh, I get up while it's still dark. It's just how I'm wired no better or worse than anyone else. It's just how I'm wired. And still to this day, to this very morning, I get up and everyone's asleep and, and that's an issue in our marriage because I always wake my wife up no matter what. I try, I try not to, but invariably I wake her up. So I'm walking in darkness, no light whatsoever, and I'm walking down steps and this is how I do it in darkness because I can't see this. I've been doing this for five years. You know what I thought this morning? Knowing I'm giving this message, I thought, 
it's one thing to do that for about 30 seconds, and then I go to the light switch downstairs. When all the door, I close all the doors and turn the lights on. Imagine people doing that their whole lives, not knowing the next step to take, not knowing if they're going to trip and break something, not knowing relationally, spiritually, emotionally if something's going to break. Their whole existence is darkness. Why? Because God wasn't aware? No, 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 no. God's very aware. God set up lanes to run in because people chose to run away from God and do things our way instead of God's way. And then when they experience the result, you know what they do? They shake their fist at God, and God's going, what more can I do? I, I gave you my son. I gave you my word. I gave you my spirit. I told you how to act. What more can I do? Well, what was God's response? This is why the gospel and Christmas is good news. Look at chapter 9. Look what it says in chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I love this because God didn't see the dark world that we created through our sin and say this. And he could have. You made your bed, now sleep in it. This is the consequence. Go ahead and live in your darkness. You don't want life with me? Go ahead and live in darkness. We don't serve a God like that. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. What's the biggest need of darkness? Light. That's what Jesus did. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What I want to say to you is this, that darkness is just the human condition. We live in a dark world, and so even as followers of Christ, fear is going to be part of the human condition. When God calls you to step out, there's always going to be a degree of fear with that step. It's just part of how we live. In darkness, anxiety flourishes. This one act, though, is just the beginning for Joseph of being afraid. If you think he was afraid to take Mary, he didn't even know what was built out behind that. He didn't know that taking Mary would mean, oh yeah, when she's nine months pregnant, a 90-mile journey with a nine-month pregnant woman on a donkey, the woman says. <laughs> he didn't know it would be poverty along the way, sleeping on the side of the road, being in danger the whole way. He didn't know there'd be no room in the inn and he'd have to go to a feeding trough in a cave, a dirty, stinky, smelly cave, and have the baby. And then he sure didn't know, soon after the baby was born, the wicked king would come after them. They'd have to live as refugees and run for their lives to the continent of Africa, fearing for their very lives. See, his act of obedience and saying yes was fear to one thing of taking her as wife. He had no idea what was down the line, but God would meet him every step of the way. So let me ask you a question. Where is God calling you? Please don't pass up this question. Where is God calling you to step out in faith and obedience to the point of trepidation? What I'm about to say, I couldn't say um, apart from being your pastor. I can't call myself your pastor with integrity and stand before God one day if I don't say this. The thrill of hope doesn't come from playing it safe. My highlight reel in 30-something years of walking with God and fear is just part of my life. It's just part of the generational sin acts that's been handed down for me that God is repairing and, and improving in me. But my most thrilling moments of walking with Jesus for 32 years never came in playing it safe. Never. 
the thrill in hindsight is looking out and stepping out of my conventional boundaries and trusting God in the unknown. The fear is stepping like I do every morning down those steps going, and by faith, God, I hope there's a step there because if not, I'm going to fall on my face. Trusting God that much. Have you ever done that? Some of you are living that right now. And you feel afraid and the fear you feel is a betrayal of God. It's not. It's not. Living fearless, faithfully doesn't equate to living fearlessly. But it goes on. Living peacefully doesn't equate to living conventionally. Page two. Living peacefully doesn't equate to living conventionally. Look at this. She'll give, verse 21, she'll give birth to a son. This is really, really important. And God's going to call Joseph. He was living faithful, but God's going to call Joseph to step out of faith, what he perceives as faithfulness and do something unconventional, countercultural. We have a culture in our city, and we're called to embrace and love this city, but live counterculturally in the city, right? We know that. Here's what I want you to hear in this point. We have a culture in this church, a religious culture in this church. And for Joseph, he had a religious culture in his community, and God was calling him to live outside and step out of conventional thinking. And it's all around the naming of the son. See, in religious times, in Joseph's day, still to some degree today, we name things we own. We name things we have authority over. For the a Hebrew father, naming meant your mind. Naming meant I have a future for you. Naming meant I'm putting my identity on you. Naming meant I have authority over you. God was calling Joseph to do something. Very few other Hebrew fathers, only one actually, his name was Zechariah with John the Baptist. Only one other Hebrew man could do. Here's what he said. Watch me. I'm going to give you a son. It's not going to be your boy. It's going to be mine. You get to adopt him. But you don't name him. You don't get that right. You'll have other children with Mary. You can name them. But you don't name him. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because you don't own him. He owns you. You don't have authority over him. He will have authority over you. You don't manage him. He'll manage you. Why I'm so passionate about this, I know for me in obedience, I always want to create the lanes and the values and the culture of what obedience looks like. But God says, don't obey me on your terms. Obey me on mine. And that's what God's calling Joseph to do. This isn't going to be conventional. People are going to uh, talk about you your whole life. God, in the Bible, men and women, the history of the Bible is filled with God asking his children to do crazy things, unconventional things. I actually think this is the third craziest ask in the Bible. I do. First craziest ask, Mary. Get pregnant. Not only that, have everyone talk about you your whole life. Not only that, your life ends in pain because you watch your only son that I gave you. She had other kids, but that son beaten to a pulp, hung naked on a cross, suffocate on a cross, and die. That's a crazy ask. Second craziest ask, Isaiah, in my opinion. Walk the land for two years stark naked. That's crazy. That's crazy. Third craziest ask, Joseph. Joseph, you attach to Mary. And this is crazy, but you, Joseph did it. 
Joseph did it. Let me ask you this. What is your normal thought process when God asks you to do something that's nuts? Do we really believe, men and women, that we read about these heroes in the Bible? Do we think God has stopped asking his children to do crazy, unconventional things? Why do we do that? I do that too. Listen, we can't follow Jesus and follow normal, religious, conventional thinking. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, he climbs a hill and sits down, and he speaks to the religious culture, and we have one around here. And he says this, five times, five times, count them, read it for yourself, Matthew 5, you have heard it said, in other words, this is what religious culture says, but I say, five times, you've heard it said, but I say, you've heard it said, but I say, you know what I learned? I can't follow religious culture and Jesus at the same time. So I want to ask you this question. Joseph had to face this in his obedience because living peacefully doesn't equate to living conventionally. Where is God inviting you to unconventional kingdom thinking and living? Unconventional. It dawned on me in the last gathering at 9.05, I was in the gym and I was at that point, it dawned on me, you're standing in a building because of unconventional thinking. Do you know that when they were building this building, and in a building campaign in the 70s, that property came up for sale. You know why the church bought that property? For parking. For parking. But the pastor had the foresight to say, wait a second, maybe we can use sport to further the gospel. That had never happened before. But it was because of unconventional thinking 40 years ago that today we're standing on the shoulders of those unconventional thinkers. And in Redwood City, 3,000 kids a day are touched because we're running PE in the Redwood City schools every day because we uh, had it in our mind to create sport to reach kids. And a gathering is, is in that building and more are happening and people in the pools are being ministered in Jesus' name and people in the tennis courts, things that was unthought of back then in the 70s. Why? Because of unconventional thinking. And you're going to hear in January, we're about to step out in big unconventional ways crazy like to the point where in those early mornings when it's dark i'm on my knees going god if you don't catch us oh my oh my so where's god calling you to step out lastly quickly living peacefully comes from living obediently i can get this one out really quick look at verse 24 i love this if you take if you're taking notes or if you're on your uh screen through you version just write this term yes lord yes lord yes lord that's who Joseph was, a yes, Lord kind of man. We see that in verse 19. He was faithful. That's what it means. I am going to be faithful. I am going to say yes to your revealed will in my life. And when he thought, oh my gosh, she had those three contingencies. She can't be pregnant by God. When the angel showed up, the revealed word from God, from heaven, was marry her. Look what it says in verse, where is it? Verse 24. When the, Joseph woke up, look at this. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him <laughs> yes lord see his law is love his law is love word on the street out in that culture is oh how can you be obedient to that ancient book called the bible that is so confining that is so restrictive no 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 his law is love it's an utter relief to be obedient to the word of god it's freeing that's what Joseph learned. His law is love. This is amazing. 
I uh, have five daughters, and I try to say yes as much as possible to my girls. They know. that In the house, they know. If we really want something hard, let's talk to Dad, because we have them wrapped around our finger. And I'd have it no other way. But the mark of my parenting is not my yes. The mark of my parenting is through my no. The restrictive limits I place on them. I say yes as much as possible. I say no probably double to every yes. No, you can't bring your screen to the table. No, you can't have boba tea every night. No, you can't have candy for breakfast. No, you can't play by the pool. No, you, no, 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 no. Why? Because I want to restrict my girls? No, because I love my girls. I want to provide and protect for my girls. My no is love. His law is love. And I can see you sitting there going, oh yeah, that'd be great, Gadini. If I had an angel visit me, I'd be a yes, Lord kind of person too. We have it better than Joseph. We have the living word of God that we get to access 24-7. And that word is everything God would want to say to you possible. It's the most loving thing that we have. So for Joseph, he learned living uh, peacefully comes from living obediently. Where is God calling you to obedience and peace this morning? Where is it in the Word? You're wrestling with that and you're trying to, to fit your life around it and justify a behavior or whatever around it, but God the whole time is saying, uh-uh, just obey. Just be a yes, Lord kind of person in that relationship, facing that circumstance, in your attitude. My law is love. Yes, Lord. See, the name Jesus, and we'll talk about this next week, means Yahweh saves. We see salvation all over this announcement, and I'm wrapping it up with this. The only way Mary can be saved was for Joseph to give up his life and not divorce her. Joseph walks away. She's destitute the rest of her life. She's a beggar the rest of her life. And Joseph, as we see in Matthew 1, brought the lineage of David to the relationship and the fulfillment of so many prophecies. The only way for Joseph to be saved was for Mary to give up her life and bear the Son of God. So what do we learn? They surrendered and obeyed, and they received into their lives Jesus Christ and the disdain of the world. And as a result, the world has never been the same. His law is love. His gospel is peace. With God, as we see on page one, with others. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this word for us as we're uh, sitting in life circumstances, probably for all of us to some degree that none of us would have scripted. But I thank you in the midst of that, you have not left us broken. You have not left us abandoned. You run to us and want to meet us in the pain and give us a thrill of hope from trusting in you. And so I pray we would reach out and do that very thing right now. Jesus, that you would bring salvation to us and through our circumstances as we trust in you. Pray this in Christ's name. Everyone said. listening to the
Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.